if um, okay so this is Parshas Parshas Vayera and if you open up the Pasuk it's Perak Yudchas Pasuk Yud Zion you find something which is just absolutely astounding in a way and the, the Chassam Sofer focuses on these psukim in his introduction to the Shalas and Shuvas of the Chassam Sofer, Yeridea. Rav Palm used to say this over, I'm not going to say every year, but he said it over very often. It's very interesting. Look at the Pasuk. It says, the Hashem Omar. Now we're talking here after the Akedah. We're talking now about when Hashem sends the Malachim, right? And they're going to destroy Sodom, right? Sodom is about to be destroyed. So the Pasuk says, Vayomer Hashem Omar, and God said. This is Perak Yudchas, Pasuk Yud Zayin. Vahashem Omar, and God said, Hamachas Anime Avraham, can I close, cover up from Avraham Asher Niosa? Can I cover that up? And I'm going to destroy Sodom. Is it proper that I should cover it up? Meaning, I, I have to go and I have to tell Avram Avinu about what's going to happen. We're learning uh, Vayera, and I'm sure I'm going over now. Uh, to me, you don't have to look inside if you want, don't want, but I think it's just amazing. And then the public says, and you know what? Avram is going to be this master, major nation. And through Avram, through Avraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. Because Hashem says, I know that he's going to go and he's going to teach his children and that they're going to go and follow the path of God, to do So the Pesach is saying something very interesting. God is saying, how can I not tell Avram Avinu what's going to go on? And then he says, one of the reasons, I, how could I not tell him, Avram is going to be this amazing leader of the world. He's, tell, he's going to pass it on to his children. Right? So, so the Chavitz Chaim writes on his Pirush on the Torah. He focuses on the second part of this, of this, of this Shiloh, which you're going to hear in a second. He says, practically, you know there were other tzaddikim in the world before Avram would be. Right? We know that. Aver. Shame and Aver, they were the uh, they had a yeshiva. We know that, and as I'm going to show you in the introduction to the Chassam Sofer, there are other people. So the Mishnah, the Chavetz Chaim writes very clearly, and he says that the that what separated Avraham, and we all know this, what separated Avraham was that he had within his mita to go and educate his children and the whole world. We always talk about the Avos 
So Avma, so Chabetz Chaim says, since we're always talking about the Avos, we should specifically remember what did Avram do. Avram's main deal was that he wasn't worried about himself exclusively. That brings us up to the introduction to the Samsofer. He asks a big question. When Hashem talks to Moshe, right, at the burning bush, what does Hashem say? The first things that you hear is Hashem says, the Malach says, take your shoes off because it's uh, holy land, right? And then Hashem says to Moshe, you, you, you should go and redeem and save the Jewish people, right? Let Take another person, doesn't really, uh, take any Novi you want, Yirmiyo. And Yirmiyo starts off by saying that, I'm sorry, Yeshayo, it says, Hashem says, I knew you in your womb. I knew that you were destined for this. You know? You don't find any place that God is speaking in a way which is like, like I'm stuck. And the Pasuk says, Hashem says, like, am I, how can I not tell Avraham? We don't find that with anything. We don't find that. We don't find that with Yitzchak, you know, Yosef. We don't find that with anybody. The concept that God is saying, I've got no choice. I've got no choice. How could I not tell Abraham? It's strange language. That's, so that's the Chassam Sofer's first question. Within the realm, he goes on, he says another thing. You remember that, uh, you remember that there was a woman by the name of Rivka. She's Avram Avinu's daughter-in-law. And she's got these psychotic twins, right? She's got psychotic twins. They go by a place of Avodazara, they're kicking out. They go by a place of holiness, they're kicking out. So she's convinced that she's got un, an, un, an unhealthy child. She doesn't know it's twins. She thinks she's got an unhealthy child on her hand, and she doesn't know what to do. Who does she go to? Shemvever. Your father-in-law is Avram Avinu. Who are you going to? You're going to go to Avram Avinu, right? That, that's what you would think. Was he regarded in that time? Like, we know him as Avram Avinu, but, like, well, did they? he was the... He was known as the tzaddik of the universe. I'm going to show you a Gemara, since you brought that up, which maybe that's why this Gemara is brought down. Just hold that concept. I hear it. And it's a very, very powerful Gemara, which counterbalances a little bit everything we know about Avram Avinu. But he was known to be a, a big tzaddik. But you're touching on the problem. Let's go next step. Remember that there was a situation with this woman who gave another woman to her husband as a concubine. I'm not sure what a concubine really means. It sounds like it's a second wife, right? Just doesn't have a ksuba, whatever. But she gives it, and then they have a little baby by the name of Yishmael. And Yishmael is a little bit of a problematic child. Like Monster Child, what was the movie? Monster Child, should I turn it off? I watch movies? No, I don't watch movies. I just read about it in the Yated Neman. Uh, do you, what was it called? It was called Monster Child? Yeah, okay, whatever. The 90s? Yeah, yeah. No, you, 
whatever, whatever, monster kid. So, so this woman goes and says to her, to her, to the father of this child, gotta get, I'm sorry, the, the wife, Sarah, says to the husband, Avram, you gotta get rid of this kid. He's a troublemaker. He's, you know, he's gotta be thrown out of the yeshiva, out of the family. Avram doesn't want to do it, right? Doesn't want to do it. So, all of a sudden, Avram gets this prophecy from God, and what does the prophecy say? Who should he listen to? He should listen to Sarah. Why should he listen to Sarah? Because she was a greater Navi. She's a greater Navi. So we see something here that maybe Avram wasn't the greatest of Navim. Maybe. How could that possibly be? So when was Avraham born? In secular, in the Jewish numbers, he was born in 1948. It's just an interesting thing that he was born in the Jewish calendar in 1948. Now, Avraham Avinu saw two cataclysmic or catastrophic traumatic events. He lived and he had, he had a relationship with at least Noah's children, Right, Shembever, and potentially with Noah also. I don't remember. I was looking it up and I couldn't find it. It could be that he met Noah, but he certainly knew Noah's children, okay, and knew all about the flood and how humanity needed to be destroyed. He 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 he, he got that message. He also lived during the time of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was the opposite. Uh, the the Mabel came because there was no unity amongst the people. There was stealing and and uh, and, and sexual immorality. And the Tower of Babel was a whole different deal. It was in the plains of Babylon, and they decided to build a giant tower. And some people say it was a rocket ship, right? You've, you've heard that already, and I believe it was Rabbi Yaakov Emden that said that, but. Uh, is a safer called the wonder the pleos of of Torah, where it has all these weird things, and that's what it says. Be as it may, he saw what happens to a society where where there's no belief in God. He saw what happens. He saw the destruction. So he decided, he decided that even though you could be a holy person. And you could be such a person like Hanoch. Remember, there was a person like Hanoch. This is some sofer says this that Avram Avinu decided that even though there was a person called Hanoch, I'll read you the exact words. Me lonu godo me Hanoch asher me chukoso because he was so so motivated in loving God utvekoso b'Hashem. It says that his physical body separated. Whatever that means, he went straight to Shemayim. Basically, he, he broke his kalim. That's how he describes it over here, that his body that is created out of the four Yisodos, Eshmayim, how's it go? Fire, wind, fire, water, and earth. They dissipated, they fell apart because he got to such, such a level. But he's not the leader of the Jewish people. Avram Avinu looks around and he says, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth me being that holy, holy person 
and everybody else in the world is worshiping idols, being woke, doesn't know if they're male or female. You know, no, it's, it's we're living in that kind of universe. It's in the, it's, I don't, nah, I don't care. This isn't, this doesn't bother me. Uh, a rabbi called me up this week that he was concerned that uh, we have Chalavstan. So I said, yeah, we've got bigger problems than that. You know, there was uh, one time Reb Zelig Epstein, the Rosh Hashiva of, uh, of Shar Torah, Zechat Tzadik, Mekadosh they wanted, there's a movie theater in Kew Gardens. So there was a big petition that was going around. Did you ever hear the story? This is a goggle. There was a petition that was going around to close, to try to close down the uh, the movie theater. So they came to Reb Zelig, and Reb Zelig said that he has a policy; he doesn't sign petitions. So after the guy left, his Talmud said to him, "This is a famous story. Everybody in Shartar, you know, Laura knows this." So his Talmud said to, to his Rebbe, Reb Zelig, okay, but you don't want people, Yeshiva Bakram going to the movies, so why don't you sign it? And he said, Klal Yisrael's pants are on the floor, and you're worried, and they, I'm sorry, and they're worried about the tie. That's what he said. Klal Yisrael's pants are on the floor, and we're worrying about the tie. Anyway, we'll get back over here. So, Avram Avinu looks around the world and he says to himself, there are millions of people. I don't know if there were billions at that time, probably millions of people. They don't know their right hand from the left hand. My separating myself and, and becoming a little holier and holier is not what God needs. What God needs is monotheism throughout the world. And therefore he decided to give up, to be Moser Nefesh, it's an amazing thing. Up until that point, Noah, no, I mean, think about it. Noah was a, it says, he's tzaddik, he was a holy man. But what was he focusing on? He focused on one thing and one thing only. Himself, right? And his family. That's what he did. But what about everybody else? 120 years he's building a building, right? 120 years? He's building an ark for 120 years and he wasn't able to be Makar of one person. That doesn't sound so successful. Now you can't blame, can't blame Noah because after all we believe that you have to try and it's not up to you to succeed. You got to just give it the best shot that you possibly have. But that's what, what Avram Avinu decided that it is more important to go and rescue the world even if it means being most having Messiris Nefesh himself. That's what he decided to do. So he goes and he makes soup kitchens for Arabs. Osama bin Laden's great-great-grandfather. That's, that's what he was doing. Literally, that's what he was doing. Now, here's the problem. You can't do two things at one time. You can't be sitting and learning the deepest secrets of Kabbalah and standing in the middle of 42nd Street and, and saying to people, come here for food. You can't, you can't do it. You, you can't do both. So you're going to say, but don't we do both? Yeah, but we're not Mukubala. You know, it doesn't work that way. You have to be, to be a Navi. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but to be a Navi, the, the Derech Hashem, the Ramchal, talks about the Navi school that they had to go to. 
to learn how to be a Navi, the meditations. You prepared yourself. King David had a harp with him all the time, right? You guys know that. He had a harp. The Gemara talks about why do you have a harp? Because you have to have music, because you need to be besimcha in order to have nevuah. So Avravinu was not the greatest of all prophets. He was not. And Shem Ve'ever were greater. And yes, he was the greatest of the tzaddikim. He's the avos. He's the pillar of chesed. He was Moser Nefesh. He gave it up. And that's the Chassam Sofer says. That that's what it means over here. Hashem says, Am I going to hide from Avraham what I'm going to do? After all, Avram gave up his spirituality for me, right? That's what God is saying. Avram gave it up because of me, because he wants to have, he, as it says in the passage, Avram he's going to have a big nation, and the whole world is going to be blessed through him, but it's because he was Moshe Nefesh. So how could I not give this information so Avram Avinu received this nevuah, which he was not really worthy of, from a strict nevuah perspective. He basically did not have the grades to pass on to the higher level nevuah school. He didn't have it. But Hashem says, there's got to be a fail-safe method where Avram Avinu can, you know, can get what is necessary for Avram Avinu. That's a tremendous, a tremendous message that we have to learn, that we have to be willing, no matter what, to go out and help other individuals, even if it's mysterious nefesh, where we're saying, but my own personal spirituality is being heard. In Chobos HaLevavos, he writes in the area called, if I'm not mistaken, it's Shar Ahava, but I could get that information if you care. He writes, that even if an individual reaches the highest level that he could ever reach, it pales compared to the level of a person who is helping other individual, other individuals grow. You have to be willing to go and be Moser Nefesh for other people. The Chavetz Chaim, in 1908, there was a Knesset Hagadolah, it's a long time ago. The world was so different, you know. The world is so different than today. It's just, uh, it's incredible sometimes, you know. I, 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 I walk sometimes in the street and you see things and how the world changed. We have electric cars. Electric cars. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to last because I think they're too expensive, especially the batteries. Because the batteries will malfunction, right? And they're what... How much are they like to change a battery on a Tesla? It's a lot of money. And we don't know how to really store the used batteries. It's not so pushing. But you walk around and you look at the world and how the world has changed. And the Chavetz Chaim writes two different contradictory concepts. In one, one place he writes that you got to keep away from non-religious Jews because we don't want to be affected. Then he writes another, he has a whole sefer called Choma Sadas, where, which means the walls of faith, where he talks about the obligation to do Kirov. It's an entire, an entire thing about how you have to do Kirov. 
He starts off the discussion of his Sefer by saying that in times of peace, all you need is a small standing army. Right? Small, he says, well, a small army. But he says in times of war, he says even the banker has to go to the front lines. That's the example he uses. Even the banker has to go to the front lines. And he felt that the, that the and that's what he said. So I asked Rebelsky, I said to him, like in what here, Chavetz Chaim writes how you got to keep away from non-religious Jews because of the influences, you know, and we all know influences, right? And here he writes that you have to go in the streets and be makar of people. So, so Rebelsky told me that there were two stages in the Chavetz Chaim's life. The first one was like in the in the middle to late. 18, like 1870, 1880. The second one was written in like 1908, something like that, where he saw the world changing, you know, where it's not that hard when you go over to people and they want to know about Judaism, or they're not going to bite your head off if you wear a yarmulke in the street. I remember growing up, people didn't wear yarmulkes that, you know, in, in the street today. I mean, unless you're in a dangerous location, most people do wear yarmulkes. The world changed. So there's a famous story that in 1908, there was a, a, the, a Gouda convention. It's called the Wetzel Yedoya Torah at the time. And the Chavetz Chaim got up and he gave this sheer about this whole discussion about speech about being Makara people. When he got down, he heard people speaking. I heard this story from Rav Palm and from Rabbi Pesach Kron both places, and also I heard it by Rabbi uh, Olbaum, I believe. I heard the other two for sure. He got off the podium, and he heard people saying, you know, yeah, of course, if you're on the Madriga of the Chavetz Chaim, then you should go out and do Kiruv, but not, not people like us. We, you know, we need to, to work on ourselves first, as it says in the Gemara. First save yourself, and then you go out and save other people. We're not there yet, you know? We have to first work on ourselves. So this is like a lofty goal, but you are not there. All right? time heard this, and he asked permission. I can't imagine anybody give, you know, give him any grief to speak a little bit more. So he got up, and he said, he gave an example. He said there was a king, and this king would go from one, one town that he owned to another town. And when he came to one town, the people, he asked for water to drink. They gave him water, and it was putrid. It, you know, it was just full of dirt. And the king said to whoever, the mayor or whoever was in charge, that any time that water is necessary to be used for any purpose of the town, you know, it must be spring water or purified water. Well, there was a big fire in the town, and the town burned down, which was common in those days. Like, you know, whatever, it burned down. So he went as the king to see the situation. He goes there, and he found something very interesting. He, he saw on the ground that it was all burnt in ash, but it wasn't muddy. It, it seemed it wasn't damp. It didn't 
feel like there was a lot of water being used to extinguish the fire. So he went to, again, to the mayor, whoever was in charge. He said, it doesn't feel like you were using that much water. Was there a problem? And the king said, the guy said, the mayor said, well, you made a, a statement that any time we need to use water for any anything within the municipality, it has to be, you know, fresh, clean, pure water. We didn't have enough, so burnt down. So the king obviously said, when there's a fire, you use any type of water, even if the water is dirty. That's what he said. That's what he said. And he said, we might not be perfect, and we have to try I today had to apologize to somebody from something I said that wasn't so good. You know what I mean? So I'm not perfect, that, but that doesn't mean we can't learn Torah. doesn't mean we can't teach Torah. You know what I mean? That's just, we all have to work on ourselves. But the world is absolutely burning. Now, with that in mind, by the way, there's a little, little, a different story, which is so counterintuitive, but... It's um, it's a counterintuitive story, but it works. It's just so interesting, you know. It, until the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, when I say previous, I mean Rabbi Nachman Mendel Zechut Until him, Chabad was like all Hasidus, and they were into Kiru. But they were very, you know, stark. The Rebbe was also. But anyway, the previous Rebbe, before him was Revlevi, it was, uh, um, my brain just went on me. Um, the the Friedrich Rebbe, he had the same marshal. You know what? I'm not going to say that story. Maybe it's meant I don't say it. Maybe I'll just miss that. So now I'm going to show you something really crazy. I'm going to show you Gemara, which counterbalances everything that we know about Avraham Avinu, about being Makar of everybody. It's fascinating. It's in the uh, it's in Sanhedrin. It's on Daf Tzadik Tess, I believe. I'll look it up right now. And Tzadik Tess on base. And it's so I think it's really important because it balances a lot of Kirov. I'm going to read it to you. You've never heard of this, Gemara. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you did. But yeah, I find it very interesting. Gemara says like this, Timna. Who's Timna? Anybody know who Timna was? No, that, no that's good. Pelegesh. Timna, Pelegesh. Yeah, well, she she wasn't a Pelegesh. You, you remember anything else about her? I remember hearing about her once. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Timna Basmalacham Habe. This woman, Timna, was a princess. She was a princess. Okay. Dichsiv, and it brings the Pasuk. Aluf Lutan, Aluf Timna. Okay, that's the Pasuk. The Chol Aluf Machusa, below Tagahi. And any time you have the word Aluf, what that means is it's a kingdom. One second. It's a kingdom below Taga. I believe below Taga means without a capital. Uh, a ruler. It's without a crown. That, that's a little less exalted than a crown king. Okay. It's like a vice president or something. So we know she was the 
daughter of a she was a princess. Boi Ligure, she decided that she's going to convert to Judaism. Okay, this Gemara is talking about different people who converted. Anyway, we all know that Rabbi that Haman, Rabbi Meir was a great grandchild of Haman. The Gemara goes through all the different famous people who were from converts. The, the Caesar Nero says that he wanted he converted, right? What do we know about? What does the secular world say about Nero? The secular world says he lost his mind. So put that together. We say he converted. They say he lost his mind. All right. I got that. So what happens with Timna? Basra Eitzel Avraham. She goes to Avraham. Yitzchak. She goes to Yitzchak. V'yakov. And to Yaakov. V'lo kiblua. And they did not accept her to convert her, which goes against everything we think about. In our mind, anybody that walked up to Avram Avinu, listen, Avram is being, is being Megara the, the men, right? And Sarah is being Megara the women. This woman comes and she says, I'm here, Hineni, I want to convert. And it, the Gemara says over here, they didn't do it. They didn't want to convert her. So she says... And it's so, I, it's, 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 it's crumb. You could feel what she was thinking, but, it, but it's a little bit confused. Okay? So, Holcha, Vohoyasi Pilegesh Le Alifaz Ben Esav. So she decides that she's going to be the Pilegesh, you're right, the Pilegesh to Alifaz, the son of Esav. Amra, she said, Mutav I'd rather be a maid in in this family. So I'm involved in this family, but I'm I'm married to a Russia, right? And my father-in-law is Hitler, right? I mean, I'm 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 the, the I'm in a terrible situation, but I would rather still be part of the family. and not be part of anybody else. So. You see, in one way we can understand that. It sounds noble, but it's, but it's skewed a little bit because, because at the end of the day, she's living with somebody who's evil, right? So this is like, it's a little bit off. But nafik minei Amalek. But her child was Amalek. Did Tsarina Yisrael, who, who at the end of the day is the big Tsara for Kla Yisrael. So Avram Avinu and my timer, what's the reason? Why did this happen? Because he should, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov should not have pushed her away. They should not have pushed her away. So it's like so interesting because we always think that Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, everything we know about them, they're doing here, right? Everything we know about them is that they're converting. All of a sudden, this one woman comes, she wants to convert, and they say, for some reason, which I'm going to read to you what, one different shatam on this, because to me I understand this. She comes and she says, I want to convert. They say, I'm sorry. That doesn't fit in. So how do you learn that? And something bad comes out of it. So that's a hard thing, why something bad came out of it, considering their reasoning. But I'm going to read that in a second. The reason to me this is so valuable is because sometimes you're trying to do good. Okay, it's impractical here.
Last Shabbos, I had to throw somebody out of the shul two weeks ago. It was two Shabbos. Well, you were here? Do you know about this? Two weeks ago, I had to throw somebody out of the out of the shul. The real reason I threw him out of the shul, the real reason is that there's somebody who I trust very much, as much as I trust all you guys. I mean, you know what I mean? Each one of you I trust. He came to me. I, I knew that this guy only came at the end of the, at the end of the kiddish to drink. That I knew. But I have a lot of people that come just for the kiddish. You know what I mean? It's not there have been people who ended up being amongst the best of Ashivenu, who started off not being from at all, but coming while they were in Queens College, you know, to the Kiddush. So I have no problem. I even honored a guy once who that's how he started at the dinner. That's how he started, and then he got inculcated, you know what I mean? And you know, first he came at eleven, then he came at nine at ten thirty. You know what I mean? I got no problem with that. I do have a problem when somebody says to me who I trust that this guy uh, assaulted somebody, assaulted a woman. That I have a problem with. You know? That I have a problem with. Now, is it true or is it not true, the story? I don't know. I don't know. So I have to rely on the famous story with the Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim was uh, in, in, in Raden. There was somebody that was brought up on a court case. By the way, what I'm telling you now, I told Kenny. Because I told Kenny, this guy can't come anymore. He can't be here. And I said to him, what I just said to you, that he, you know, he was accused of, uh, by, to somebody told me he assaulted someone. And I said to Kenny, listen, I don't know if it's true. Let me tell you a story about this great rabbi. <laughs> So I told him that the Chavetz Chaim, great rabbi, was the character witness for somebody who was on trial. So the defense attorney asked the judge, you know, this rabbi, tell me about him. He's the character witness. Like, what, what is he? So he said, let me tell you. This rabbi, the Chavetz Chaim, had a guest at his house that he allowed a, 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 um, a transient to, you know, just to sleep in his house for the Sabbath. And Sunday morning, when the guy was leaving, he realized that the guy stole his his uh, Kiddush cup. So the guy steals the Chavetz Chaim's Kiddush cup. The Chavetz Chaim is running after him, saying, Michael, I forgive you, I forgive you, Michael. So the judge said to the, to the, to the, uh, to the defense attorney, like, do you really believe that story? And the defense attorney said, I don't know. But they're not saying that about you or about me. <laughs> that much I know. So I said to Kenny, you know, I don't know if this is true or this is not true. But, you know, they're not saying that about me or you. I can't have somebody in Hashivenu where this type of accusation is going. You know, I can't do that. I can't do that. So when I read this Gemara, I'm saying, I, uh, you know, like Avram Avinu is going through Yitzhak and Yaakov. Now, Avram, the truth is that it, it's brought down that it couldn't have been Avram because of the, the, the history that, he, that this woman, Timna, was married to Eliphaz's, uh, you know, to Eliphaz. So it, could, it couldn't, time-wise, it doesn't, it means that, that uh, Timna wanted to be connected to Avram Avinu. But the bottom line was, why didn't they take her in? 
but it shows there that they were struggling and they decided we can't have this woman here for some reason. So I'm going to read to you the reason behind that. Tim felt, yeah, let me read this to you. Tim felt that it was better to marry to the family of patriarchs than to retain her royal status in another nation. She therefore accepted the lowly rank of concubine to Eliphaz since it was Yitzchak's grandson. So she was willing to submit. Why did the patriarchs reject him? After having converted so many idolaters, what was the deal? So the Yaakov explains that Timna was an illegitimate, she was a mamzeris. She was illegitimate, born of an adulterous union between Seir and Eliphaz. The patriarchs therefore refused to accept Timna as a, commoner, as a convert because a mamzer is forbidden to marry an ordinary Jew. Now, I don't know what, I don't know that that's the case. I don't know. So she's the Mamzeris, not the Lethas, but then she was married to Lethas? Then she got married to her father, I think. It was like an incest. Yeah, it's not cool. I wonder I've been dinner on her. I understand that. <laughs> like, that's like a little, okay. But no, but you know, but I, I want to, let me just finish this, and then, and then I'm going to answer to that. But if the patriarchs acted so wisely and prudently, why were their descendants punished, right? In other words, that sounds like, like you just said, she is married to her father. So how can you blame anybody for that? So the riff explains that even though our forebearers could never sanction Timna's marrying an ordinary Jew, they should have allowed her to come closer to God by joining his people. In other words, say, you want to come, you can be Maguire. You can't marry you know, that you can't do, but you could be you could be Jewish and just be a single woman. Yeah, you know. Um, Yalkut HaMeiri suggests that the patriarchs were aware that Timna was primarily motivated by her desire to marry into Avram's family. However, Jewish law rejects those who wish to convert in order to marry a Jew. So, but, but, so therefore, the Rav is supposed to, if you know that the person is converting, not for the purpose which you really want. You're not supposed to convert them. Although today there are many Rabbanim that convert people who are dating or whatever. And, and the conversion is still a legit. It's this, I shouldn't say. But bottom line is, if anybody wants to convert, you have to speak to a reliable Besden. And, uh, but I will, what time are we, where are we with time? I will tell you something strange about conversion. If you want to hear something really, really, really cool about conversion, should we put it on here? Yeah. When? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Let me just ask. For anybody have any questions about this? I what I understand from this is very simple. You have people that come. They they're flakes. I'm not saying that Timna was a flake, but the people who come, and they you know they 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 seem to be interested in Judaism in their own type of Judaism, in some kind of whatever. They want to be part and parcel. You have a big heart. You're a cure of person. So, you're, you know, you're willing to lower the, the, the walls or whatever because you want to reach out. And I understand that. I understand that because sometimes my tendency would go that way. I have without a doubt. And I've been burnt many a time by situations where I certainly 
was being accepting. And I don't care, I'll keep on doing it. Because I think that that's the message. There's a dual message in this Gemara. On one side, the message is, Avram Avinu was keeping the, and Yitzhak and Yaakov, they were keeping the fence of Judaism. We can't have crazy people coming. Just because Timna wants to come and her ideals are good, but if she's willing to live with, with her father and she's willing to be in the family of Esav, so I'm sorry, you know what I mean? I'm sorry, I can't, you know? So that's on one side. On the other side, on the other side, you got to try and, like, you know, apparently the Gemara felt that he, Avram should have been his own Majaya. They should have been a little bit more. But this is, this to me is a very, because this is the man who's running around and goes down in history and he gets the Nevoah because he's willing to be Moshe Nefesh, but he's trying to keep that balance of keeping, you know, the family safe. Got to keep the family safe. You can't let crazy people in. We had a policy in my house. You see, I have a good friend, Mordechai Machlis. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Big tzaddik in Jerusalem. So he had everybody by his house. And he was able to handle it. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. So we had a policy, and we still do, that if, let's say, for example, um, I invite Azriel, no, I invite anybody to the house with Shabbos, someone wants to come, and anybody doesn't want that person for some reason, then they can't come. It's simple. I will ask my daughter or my son, what you know, or whoever, my wife, whatever. It's not my wife, God forbid. But my daughter and my son, God forbid, my wife makes no mistakes to me. Um, <laughs> I mean that, though. So, um, I would ask, like, what's what what's what's the problem with Bob? You know, I, but if they say I just I can't, so then you don't. You gotta, you know what I mean? This, gotta keep the walls. You gotta be safe. I'll just tell you this one halacha, and then we'll call it a, a game night. It's just so interesting. You remember? You remember the story of Hillel and Shammai? You remember the story of Hillel and Shammai? Somebody comes to Hillel and says, "Good Shammai says, convert me." on condition that you teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. Remember that? Shammai throws him out. Hillel says, don't do to your friend what you don't want to happen to you. Now go, and he converts him, and then he says, now go learn everything else. Because he says everything else is a commentary. Second story, somebody comes to Shammai and says, convert me on condition that I accept the written law, but not the oral law. Shammai throws him out. Hillel says, this is at Aleph, and this is a base, and this is a Gimel. The next, uh, next day, the guy comes back, and what uh, the day before, Hillel said it was an Aleph, he said, that's a base. And the day before, he said, that's a Gimel, he called it a dollar. The guy says to Hillel, yesterday you told me differently. So Hillel says, you're trusting me on how to read, and I trust the rabbis who taught me how to read. Yeah. So how do we know how to read anything that's all Misora? And he converted him and said, you know. Third case, the guy's walking by the base matters. This is a Gemara in, uh, in Shabbos, Lamed Gimel. I only know it because Lamed Gimel is like Bomer, so it's easy to remember. So he uh, he's walking by a base matters, and he hears somebody reading about uh, that a guy, somebody who is Kohen Gadol is going to wear 
a golden breastplate with the with the stones, and he's got to wear this hat. And so the guy walks into the basement, into the base manager says, and says, "Who gets to wear the clothes?" And whoever it was said, "Well, the Kohen Gadol." So he goes to Shama and he says, "Convert me on condition that I become the Kohen Gadol." Shammai throws him on his head. He goes to Hillel. Hillel converts him and says, but now, if you really want to be the Kohen Gadol, you got to learn the laws. He goes and he learns. And he comes to the verse that says, Hazar Karav Yumas, that the, the non-Kohen who, get, who gets close in the Kodesh Kedoshim, he, die, he, he's put to death, he dies. And the guy says, if that applies to somebody born Jewish, just imagine me, who I wasn't even born Jewish. Okay, it sounds, and I know it's on tape, just have Rahman Nisami, it sounds that Hillel is, is more liberal than a reformed rabbi. What's he doing? What's he doing? A guy comes to you and says, I want to convert, and I want to know everything, and you say, don't do somebody now, I'll convert you, but go learn. How could he do that? How could he do that? So the Shach asks this question, in Hilchus Gerus, in the Chelegimel of Yerdea, and the Shach says that you see from here that it's all up to the eyes of the Bezdin. See, Hillel looked in whatever, however he did it, he saw the purity of the Neshama. He knew that this person was really, he was sincere, he was real, and that's why he converted him. Hillel didn't, Shammai didn't, didn't see it that way or whatever, but that's how he did it. And at the end of the day, every Bezdin has to make that decision. Because there's nobody that goes in front of the Bezdin that knows Kolotar Kula and is, you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. So I find that to be fascinating and scary. And that's why I do not plan on being on a Bezdin if I can help it. Have a good night, everybody. So I learned from that is Shama is very violent. Everybody that comes to me throws him out. He does. He wasn't violent. He uh, there was no patience. The like Gemara says that. Yeah.